Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting reimagined child care, TD Bank, the Fidelco Group, University Hospital, one goal, one passion, every patient, every time, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Choose New Jersey, Operating Engineers, Local 825, New Brunswick Development Corporation, and by NJM Insurance Group, serving New Jersey's drivers, homeowners, and business owners for more than 100 years. Promotional support provided by NJ.com, keeping communities informed and connected, and by New Jersey Globe. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Adubato. This is a special edition of Think Tank right here on News 12 Plus. We're joined by our good friend and colleague, Michelle Sikirka, president and CEO of New Jersey Business and Industry Association. We'll see their website. You also know their program is on several times a week. On uh, The name of that program, Michelle, is? Minding Your Business, hosted by Bob Considine, our chief communications officer. <laughs> Unfortunately, I cannot mind my business here. I have to press with Michelle Sikirka. Hey, Michelle, uh, this program uh, you are on, there are several interviews here. We talked about small business and the role of local banks in helping small business. Do what? What do we need from uh, our banks as it relates to helping small business? Well, we need access to capital. That continues to be a challenge. Um, and now more than ever, if you think about a lot of small business during uh, 20 and 2021, um, their balance sheets weren't so strong because they were closed for so long. New Jersey closed first, stayed closed the longest. Our businesses continue to struggle. You're going out for financing now and a bank's looking at your last three years. You know, uh, if we can, you know, the challenge for our banking industry, they're so highly regulated that you can't do it alone on a handshake anymore, right? The rules are so, so strict. Uh, but what we do need to do is recognize that 20 and 21 were outlier years. And if we could go back and actually... Uh, assess the ability to extend capital on more like a, a longer term and see how these businesses were doing pre-COVID, knowing these businesses can bounce back. I think it'd be very helpful to New Jersey small business. That's Michelle Shakirka. She teed it up. Special edition of Think Tank right here on News 12 Plus. Thank you, Michelle. As always, appreciate it. Always, Steve. Take care. Be well. You got it. This is Think Tank. Hi, Steve Adubato here. Um, it feels like she's bordering on my co-host. She's been with us so many times, but oh, so many important things to talk about. Michelle Sikirka, President and Chief Executive Officer of the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. We'll put up the website for BIA in just a moment. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Steve. Michelle, as I was reading, um, same here, when I was reading about your comments regarding the budget that was struck, the 50.6 billion dollar budget, the spending plan, the end of June, we're taping later in the summer. Um, you said that small business was ignored. Be specific. Make that case. Well, um, in all fairness, um, there's no direct relief to New Jersey small business, right? 
uh, there was an additional $50 million put into the Main Street program in all fairness. And there are some other pockets of things, money to manufacturing, so important, workforce development, et cetera. No wholesale comprehensive direct relief to New Jersey's small business. And we have been screaming from the rafters about the need for this, right? The governor was excited about the anchor program, direct property tax Pro property relief. Property tax relief, right? Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yes, to, to property tax owners. Guess who owns 50% of that responsibility across the state of New Jersey for property tax? New Jersey business. No relief for New Jersey business on property tax, right? So Steve, we truly felt in the business community, we put a lot on the table. The Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, don't start yeah. me. That well, was no, the no, opportunity. I'm start you, Michelle, it's exactly what I was going to ask you. What is the Unemployment Trust Fund, A, and B, what's the concern you have about it? So the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund is the fund that affords people on unemployment who work to the opportunity to get money. The employee and the employer both pay into that fund, okay? What happened during COVID, obviously, the world was on unemployment. So we had to take a loan, right? Companies were told to send their employees home, and they stayed home longer than imagined. The employers, New Jersey business, did not create the break in the uninsurance trust fund, right? They didn't cause it to be overrun by the need. The fact that everybody had to go home for COVID caused it. We were the first closed and the longest closed. What did we ask for? We asked, please use some of our federal dollars or our super surplus, all this money we have in the state of New Jersey right now, oh, right? Oh, Michelle, well, Michelle, hold on, sorry for interrupting. Michelle's referring to the billions of dollars sent by the, from the federal government to the states in connection with COVID relief. Use some of that money plus the surplus money, more income tax revenue, et cetera, et cetera, to the state, to do what? To replenish that fund so that New Jersey businesses would not have to see a tax increase for three years to replenish the fund. Now, the governor has said for the last year, no new taxes, right? Guess what? New Jersey businesses got a new tax July 1 of 2021, right? The first increase in order to help replenish. They got another one, July 1, 2022, and they're going to get another one, July 1, 2023. The, ob the obligation is being placed on New Jersey businesses to increase their cost of doing business to pay more money into that fund when it wasn't their fault that that fund was overrun. We what, said, the governor, what do the governor and his people say about that? We're looking for the most bang for our buck. Okay. We want to make sure that when we bring money to New Jersey business, we're getting the most bang for our buck. We, our business community said that's what they wanted and what they needed. And all we asked for, we didn't ask for the billion dollars, Steve. We asked in this last bill for 330 million, 330 million to bring direct relief to New Jersey's small business companies that employ a thousand employees or less, not even the large corporations. We compromised. We said, okay, the large corporations will get cut out. This was the most compromised bill. Thank you to the New Jersey legislature, the assembly that passed that bill. And in the 11th hour, unfortunately, the governor directed the sponsors in the Senate to pull the bill. And that's public. I'm not saying anything out of turn, right? They're going to take it up in the fall. Why does the New Jersey business community have to wait for relief to be considered in the fall when we have a ton of surplus money in the $51 billion budget that was just passed.
For those of you wondering, hey, uh, Steve, why don't you ask the governor about that? We will, in fact, be having the governor on. This, I guarantee you, will be a topic of conversation, giving the governor a chance to respond. Let's talk child care. You know our series, uh, the graphic will be up as we speak right now, Reimagine Child Care. It's a longstanding series we're doing on greater public awareness around the affordability, accessibility, quality child care. The initiative that you and your colleagues at the Business and Industry Association have supported, Thriving by Three, it provides more dollars to licensed child care uh, organizations, uh, more state money into Head Start, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a huge initiative. We'll have Senator Teresa Ruiz, the leader of that, sponsor of that bill, on talking about it. What does that have to do with the economy of the state and the business of the state, Michelle Sikirka? Well, we learned uh, crystal clear during COVID uh, that when our child care facilities were, were not open or were open with limited capacity, that our working parents couldn't get back to work. Now, we had a child care crisis in New Jersey before COVID. COVID only unleashed the next level of that crisis. So we have advocated tirelessly for more money uh, to be put into the industry, uh, also to be put toward parents uh, for accessibility and affordability, right? So there was a 10-bill package. Thank you, Senator Ruiz. NJBIA worked hand-in-hand -hand, uh, with the senator and her colleagues to see that bill package go through. Shout out to Alexis Bailey, uh, who's our lobbyist on this issue. She did a fantastic job working with the senator on this, on this relief that's desperately needed. And the governor signed off on that. Yes. Just to be clear. So this is an example of bipartisan cooperation, the business community working with uh, other organizations to get this done. So it can... So, Michelle, my question is, it can be done. Meaningful public policy with Democrats, Republicans, the unions, labor, business community coming together. It can happen. No? It, it, no, it can be done. But I do want to point out one, one challenge here, OK? Sure. The, the, bill, the bill was signed, and that's, that's go forward now. And those are excellent programs. Again, we advocated tirelessly on the policy. There was a $700 million appropriation made last October, October 2021, to the childcare industry, hardly a penny of that money's made it out on the street yet. It's in the regulatory process program still being stood up on how they're going to get that money out to the industry. Steve, where are we when this is being aired, right? Okay, October 2021, $700 million not out on the street to that industry. In the meantime, we don't have the seats, the staff, all right, and the needs filled in the childcare industry that we could have been working on the last six months. Sorry, Michelle, before I let you go, real quick, 30 seconds or less. Uh, Netflix, New Jersey, production hub. Go ahead, go, 30 seconds. Oh, wow, we did a great editorial that we hope that Netflix uh, can come to Fort Monmouth, the Fort Monmouth Economic Revitalization Authority. You know, there's this huge swath of property um, that was before, right, Fort Monmouth, and um, now we have the opportunity for a great redevelopment plan there. Uh, Netflix put in an RFP. They're going to create thousands of jobs. They are going to stimulate the economy. Um, and we have some good tax credits to help them to do it. So fingers crossed on that project. It'd be great for New Jersey. Michelle Sikirka, President and CEO of New Jersey Business and Industry Association. New Jersey Business is their uh, publication. We uh, uh, have a media collaboration together with them. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. As always, Steve, thanks so much. You got it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org.
If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Did you know that you can save money while saving the environment? New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers incentives, programs, and services that benefit New Jersey residents and businesses, as well as educational, government, and nonprofit entities, helping us save money, energy, and the environment. Learn more at njcleanenergy.com or call 866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, lighting the way to a clean energy future. We're now joined by the president of Montclair State University, my alma mater. We are joined by Jonathan Coppell. Good to see you, Mr. President. Good to see you, Steve. It's always a pleasure to meet with our distinguished alumni. Well, there are a lot more distinguished alumni and alums than me. Um, good thing I paid my library fines so I could graduate. Hey, listen, uh, one year under your belt as we as we do this program at the, in the summer of 2022. Almost. I'm a, I'm a month out, but what is, what is the biggest thing? Biggest challenge you face right now in the summer of 2022 as president? Well, look, I mean, higher education is in a moment of adaptation, right? You know, all of us are sort of trying to figure out what universities are going to look like uh, five years from now. And uh, and so that's that's the sort of big picture challenge. Honestly, this is going to be a funny one because because um, a lot of universities have the opposite problem. We're looking at a larger number of students enrolling for their first years in the fall than we've ever had before. Why do you uh, think that is? And so, uh, so that's exciting. Obviously, it's a good problem to have. Um, but I think what's what's happening is students are discovering just how much Montclair has to offer, uh, and and so they're they were eager to come to an institution where our students graduate, they have success after graduation, they have a great experience while they're here. And so now we need to we need to scale up to accommodate them. You know, we've talked to other uh, many of your colleagues, uh, presidents of universities on the public side, on the private side, independent, et cetera. The question of affordability, um, Jonathan, talk about it. College affordability for many, it's just not affordable. Talk about a how how serious that problem is in spite of the enrollment numbers you're talking about and b what needs to be done. It is it is a real issue. Uh, you know the the way that we the way that we provide higher education in this country has shifted dramatically uh, over the last thirty years. Where we used to, as a society, embrace the idea that uh, higher education is a public good, and therefore the taxpayers are going to invest in it, and that allows the universities to keep the tuition down. Uh, that shifted. So now, as you know, the percentage of the budget that comes from the state has steadily gone steadily gone down. That's not a New Jersey thing. That's all over the country. New Jersey's, you know, in the lower half, but it's not not the lowest. Um, what that has meant is that in order to pay the bills, um, the burden has shifted to students, uh, and so tuition has has crept up. We're really proud at Montclair to have manage the tuition burden as well as anybody. Uh, we're at the bottom of the list in terms of cost to students uh, and one of the most efficient universities in New Jersey. But there's no doubt that for, for folks who are struggling to make ends meet, uh, particularly in an inflationary environment, it's, it's a lift. I would say this, there's no better investment that somebody can make, right? So we, can, we should talk about student loans and debt because I know that's on a lot of people's minds. 
it's a great investment. It's better than buying a car. It's better than buying stocks. The ROI on a college education is second to none. And, and that remains the case. Uh, so, so we do our best to manage costs, but the most important thing is to make sure that students are getting value for their investment. Let me follow up on this. Um, actually, two of our top executive producers um, came from Montclair State University. I happen to teach a course about a decade, a little more than that, I'm realizing now. Um, and both of those producers were in that class. They were the best students. They are two of our best producers. The reason I'm asking is not about my teaching at the university uh, all those years ago, but it's this. Montclair State has made a big investment on the media side, studio production, media production, journalism, et cetera. While the industry has changed dramatically, how has the university adapted to have the, not just the course offerings, but the entire program around media changed? And that's, that's part of the answer to, my, to, to the previous question as well, right? So you've got to make sure that you're constantly updating yourself so that the students are getting the skills and the tools that they need to be successful post-graduation. So our School of Communications and Media is a perfect example because we're at the cutting edge, both from a technology point of view, our students are working on the same equipment that your team is using today. So when our student graduates from Montclair, they are ready. They're not working on 30-year-old 30 uh, 30 equipment. They're at the edge and we're constantly pushing. So we just launched, uh, as far as we know, the first university streaming service uh, in the country. So, you know, like a Hulu or whatever, like we have our own Hawk Plus and our students are learning how to deliver media in that way. Our Red Hawk Sports Network has students producing content on, an, on a daily basis that's on their Ma own. That's Montclair uh, State University Sports, but go ahead. Right. It's our Red Hawk Sports Network. They're covering all Montclair State, but they, they produce their own shows. They do, you know, their own, their own game day and uh, they're, doing, they're doing the technical aspects. They're doing the play-by-play. Our students are ready post-graduation uh, to be employed, and, and they know how to do their jobs because hands-on learning is part of our educational process. That's true if you're in communications, it's true if you're in theater, it's true if you're in business. That's, a, that's the philosophy, right? Which is make college work for the students while they're in school, but also when they graduate, and that's gonna make that investment worthwhile. Yeah, you're talking about Montclair State Sports. I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm sure, has anyone ever mentioned to you my time playing football at Montclair State University? It's no, I didn't think so. No, I didn't think so. It's all right. It's <laughs> not about me. Uh, it was undistinguished. That's all I'm going to say. So how about this real quick before I let you go? Being involved in the community. I happen to live in Montclair, Montclair State University, just up the road, if you will. Being involved in the community is challenging because you're dealing with all these issues. But I know that there are relationships in the community, including with one of our partners, Montclair Film. Details have to be worked out. But that being said, why is it so important for a university in a community to be involved and engaged in the community. It's absolutely essential, Steve. My view is that we are public university, not because we get some money from the state, that's important, but because our job is to serve the public, right? And I've always been excited that universities have this amazing potential to address needs and to help communities achieve their aspirations. And so we're engaged in Montclair. We're really excited about the things that we're doing in Patterson. Uh, we have a long history of working in Newark uh, our program to uh, to encourage and support young people in Newark to go and be school teachers in their own neighborhoods in Newark. It's gotten national attention. 
a university that doesn't serve the public interest isn't really fulfilling its mandate as a public university, and we should be judged by how well the communities we serve are thriving. That is President of Montclair State University, Jonathan Coppell. Um, Mr. President, thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. Well thank done. you for having me. I hope we have other opportunities in the future. We will. All the best. I'm Steve Adubato. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Did you know that you can save money while saving the environment? New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers incentives, programs, and services that benefit New Jersey residents and businesses, as well as educational, government, and nonprofit entities, helping us save money, energy, and the environment. Learn more at njcleanenergy.com or call 866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, lighting the way to a clean energy future. We're now joined by Kelly Browning, who is Executive Director of Impact Teen Drivers. Uh, Kelly, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on your show, Steve. We will put up the website of Impact Teen Drivers. Tell us what the organization is and why it's so critically important with all the distractions around us with teen drivers, with all of us, but particularly teens. Absolutely. Impact Teen Drivers is a nonprofit organization dedicated to stopping the number one unintentional injury for young people, which are car crashes. In particular, we look at car crashes caused by reckless and distracted driving. You just noted your cell phone, which certainly is our, our newest nemesis and the one that our most of us, our brain goes immediately to when we talk about distracted driving. But I think it's really important to recognize that this has been the number one killer of young people long before cell phones came out. So there are many different types of distractions. We have visual distraction, which is anything that really takes our eyes off the road. Manual is anything that's kind of taking our hands off the wheel. And one that most of us don't think about is that cognitive distraction it takes our mind off of our driving. Um, and then of course, even auditory distraction. If you can't hear, your ears aren't alert, that's a distraction. So there's four primary types of distraction. I always tell the, the, the young people that, um, for us older folks that know the YMCA song still, you can just change the Y to a V and you kind of have the visual, the manual, the cognitive and the auditory distraction. We have a lot of fun with that. So young people can think about it less as the tool that's the issue and more about the behavior. So it, it's so interesting. Um, we have a 17 year old and a 19 year old. By the time this airs, they'll be 18 and 20 because it's a couple of weeks. It's going to sit in the can, if you will. But I realized that you know, those are our two boys. And I realized that when we talk to them about this issue, it doesn't have the impact of watching what we do, meaning it ain't what we say. It's what we do, is it not, Kelly? That's exactly right. We always say, do, you know, that do as I say, not as I do. It didn't work for us. It certainly isn't going to work for our kids. A, bit, a large component, a significant component of the program work that we do that's team-centric is working with parents and talking to parents about being the driver they want their child to be. So, Steve, if you and I are driving down the road and we're doing, you know, five miles over the speed limit while we're uh, slugging back a latte and talking on the phone, we can't wonder why our young people are going to turn around and do 15 miles over the speed limit while they're live streaming and 
than eating a double decker taco or something. So okay. our, our behaviors and um, are significantly influencing our young people. They've been watching us since they were forward facing in a car seat for the past 15 years. Has social media and the obsession that many have, not just young people, but let's talk about teens right now, the, the, the constant engaging on social media, I don't mean just texting, but beyond that, has it made the situation on the roads more treacherous, Kelly? Absolutely. I think that's a big part of what we do is focusing less on that particular issue. I mean, let me say that different, less on what's um, the, the flavor of the month. So whether it's texting or social media, et cetera, and more trying to get young people to understand it's about the behaviors. Again, those distraction behaviors. And I'll give you a real concrete example. A few years ago, we did a focus group and you know, a young person came in and said, you know, I'd never text and drive, that's just dumb. But three questions later, he said, I would never have to text and drive because I can just look at my Apple watch. And he flipped his watch up so that, that you know, and we had another young woman that did it with taking a selfie while the car is moving with the driver, but she would never text and drive. So if we just focus on that one thing versus really understanding how our behaviors and our lack of focus behind the wheel can become lethal, we're really missing the boat. What about the alcohol piece of this? Yeah, alcohol is really, really important. Impaired driving from an alcohol or drug standpoint is something we need to continue to message on. However, 75% of all fatal teen driving crashes actually don't involve alcohol and drugs. Steve, they're doing a better job than our, gener our generation did. They, they understand it. It doesn't mean there's still a lot of people doing it and that we shouldn't continue to educate and enforce against it. But the vast majority of young people in car crashes don't, inv don't involve impairment. They're just making better decisions behind the wheel about impairment right now. Let, let me ask you this. Um, our friends at NJM New Jersey Manufacturers have, have talked to us about this issue, pushed it for a long time. It's obviously part of what they care about. And so I understand a lot of their motivation. What's yours? I have worked for years on behavior change with young people because I honestly have more confidence in young people to change the culture, in this case, the culture around driving and safe driving, so it's distraction-free, than I do people my own age. And what I mean by that, early 1980s, um, 10%, 10 to 13% of us were wearing our seatbelts. Today, in most of our states, people are wearing their seatbelt and have seatbelt compliance is 90 to 94%. So we changed the culture, right? We stopped seeing it as government telling me to wear my seatbelt and started recognizing, gosh, this is actually a necessary safety device that could keep myself and my family safe. And that's really what I see with young people. I believe that young people can truly change this culture. Um, without NJM support in our Northeastern states, we wouldn't be able to offer our programming free uh, to schools and communities. So we're really grateful for those public-private partnerships. Yeah, uh, but, but again, you, how did you get in for you getting into this? I'm curious. So my background is in criminology. That's what my PhD is in. And I, I was, I've always been interested in getting affect to get effect, regardless of what the issue is. I worked in homicide, suicide, substance abuse, and mental health. And this issue is the one issue that I really feel affects every single one of us. If we're a roadway user, whether we have kids or not, doesn't matter. If you ride bikes, if you walk on the, you know, walk on the sidewalks, this issue affects us. So it's something that I feel we can, we know car crashes are preventable. We know what we need to do to prevent them. We just need to make those choices and decisions, behavior change to make that happen. So I love anything that has kind of that, it's a winnable battle. And I believe this truly is a winnable battle. Mm.
Kelly P.S., before I let you go, do you have direct conversations with peers of yours about this, whether in the car with them or not, in terms of what they need to do? Absolutely. We have to remember adults, we are some of the worst. My kids will always say, my parents are the worst. They're the worst distracted drivers. What we try and talk to them about is how they can encourage their parents, their family members. Steve, we didn't start talking to kids about wearing seatbelts when they were 16. We started when they were in car seats. So we actually have elementary programs and middle school programs. And we talk to our colleagues. We have policies at my organization. We don't do any business while anybody's on the phone, whether they work for us or not. It's just safety first. Kelly, I have a feeling you just helped a lot of people. Uh, Kelly Browning, Executive Director of Impact Teen Drivers. Their website has been up. Follow up, find out more. Uh, Kelly, I thank you for joining us and uh, providing an important public service and public safety message. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Steve. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund. Supporting Reimagine Child Care, TD Bank, The Fidelco Group, University Hospital, The New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Choose New Jersey, Operating Engineers, Local 825, New Brunswick Development Corporation, and by NJM Insurance Group. Promotional support provided by NJ.com and by New Jersey Globe. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Did you know that you can save money while saving the environment? New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers incentives, programs, and services that benefit New Jersey residents and businesses, as well as educational, government, and nonprofit entities, helping us save money, energy, and the environment. Learn more at njcleanenergy.com or call 866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, lighting the way to a clean energy future.